Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, College for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, September 22nd, we are studying Leviticus chapter 22, verses 1 to 33. In today's text, the Lord gives instructions to the priests concerning their consumption of the holy food, and the Lord provides further details so that his people will know what animals are acceptable offerings for the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning. It's great to be back. Thanks for coming over, Pastor Ill. Over to the bunker. I love it. Did we ever come up with a better name? Not that I'm aware of, no. The Bible Bunker, it still is. If you have a better name, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor L, we get to talk about Leviticus today, specifically chapter 22. And I know that Leviticus is your favorite book of the Bible. It is. Oh, really? It, yeah. No, I, I love the book of Leviticus. And it always grieves me that people, uh, when they start their, uh, you know, January rolls around and they're going to read through the Bible in the year. And they make it through Genesis strong. And they get into Exodus. And it, it's pretty good until, you know, the very end. And about, about this point in Leviticus, uh, people's eyes start to glaze over. And they will sometimes come to me, hey, pastor, is it okay in my read through the Bible in a year plan if I just, like, jump ahead to, like, I do maybe numbers and then I jump Deuteronomy and and we get into Joshua and keep moving Uh, and my encouragement is is I hear what you're saying but I'd rather you didn't but but even where we're headed today in Leviticus 22 there is wonderful gospel here but sometimes you can miss it because of the prohibitions that the Lord provides and you can get so in depth into the rules and the knots and the why nots that you end up not focusing anymore on what the Lord is giving and what the Lord is promising here. There is an awful lot of promise that the Lord with his holy name comes to live among his people and where he brings his presence, he makes holy everything that comes into contact with him. And that goes to who eats at the priest's dining room table to who gets uh, to what animals are offered uh, from your flocks and herds uh, to the Lord. And so this is all about the Lord's holiness. As he brings it to his people, the Lord isn't far away. The Lord isn't aloof or standoffish from you. He comes close because he cares for you. And that changes everything, and that changes you. And so there is wonderful gospel here. Uh, And whenever we read Leviticus, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this in this study of Leviticus, we always ask the question, how is this ritual ceremony fulfilled in Jesus Christ? And and that's a really important thing for us to talk about at the end of our, our time together today is where do we see Christ fulfilling this and Christ working in his church today 
uh, even as it is foreshadowed in the worship of the tabernacle. Mm, yeah, you've made a, a good case for the book of Leviticus, as several of our guests have. And this is one of the goals for me in this series is to to help people see the wonder of the book of Leviticus and why it is an important part of our Christian reading so that we don't just skip over it, but we can actually receive it as the good gift of God, especially, as you said, centering on God's holiness. He comes close with his holiness because he cares about us, and because he cares about us, he comes close with his holiness in a way that won't kill us. This is one of the big things when it comes to Leviticus is how can sinners stand to be in the presence of God when he comes near in his holiness. And so through all of these things listed in the book of Leviticus, the Lord mediates his presence for his people so that he can come near to them in his holiness. So kind of with those big picture things in mind, what, and I I know you've already hinted at some of these things already, where do we find ourselves in Leviticus? Uh, How does Leviticus 22 fit in particularly? So Leviticus 2 is the end of a section in Leviticus that deals with uh, life in the tabernacle and holiness in the tabernacle, and it's going to put it all to a pretty swift end in the last couple of verses of this chapter. And so before, we have been talking about holiness within the tabernacle, and especially holiness for the priests. So in chapter 21, right before this, what what we got to talk about yesterday, we end up thinking about, oh, that's what priests do and how they do it. Uh, This is going to shift a little bit more to uh, what happens even around the priest's dining room table and how the priest with his family continues to receive those, those gifts of the food that are offered to the people because what's presented at the Lord's table goes to the priest's table, and wherever the Lord's holy things are, everything around it is to be holy and not to be profane or unclean or, or unkosher, if we want to use that kind of language. And so that is definitely a focus here, along with the focus on the holy offerings that are brought before the Lord um, at his altar. So with those things in mind, Pastor Ill, just one more thing by way of preview. When we think about the catechism, uh, what parts of the catechism should we particularly keep in mind as we look at Leviticus 22? As, as we go through this, and you're probably already picking up on it, there is a strong emphasis on the second commandment, on uh, you shall not use the name's Lord, the Lord's name in vain, or also the first petition of the Lord's prayer that God's name is holy, uh, because that's exactly what the Lord insists three times in this chapter that His name is holy. I am the Lord. I am the one who makes things holy. Uh, the Lord is emphatic about this point, and so we keep thinking about God's holy name praying for it to be holy and recognizing that in our sinful condition, there are times when we, when we can't help ourselves but bring uh, the profanity of our sin uh, or the, the unholiness of our sin uh, into play. And the Lord is gracious even for that. And the, he makes provisions for that too in our, uh, in our study together as well. All right, let's turn to the text. We are looking at Leviticus chapter 22 this morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge 
may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean, or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy things, because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts, and so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired servant shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and any one born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food, yet no lay person shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow, or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep or her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until the morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. That is our text for today. That is Leviticus chapter 22. 
verses 1 to 33. Okay, Pastor Ill. So we've got two primary contacts here, two topics here. We've got the matter of priests and who can eat of the holy things from their household and the state of cleanness. And then we've got the matter of acceptable offerings. All of this, I think, is tied into that matter that you were saying of the holiness of God's name. How do we see that at the introduction of this chapter? How does that really go over the whole chapter? So when the Lord says, speak to Aaron and to his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, the abstaining there isn't for all of the priests, but for the unclean ones. And this is the Lord giving a command. There's a lot of rules here. But these rules aren't human rules, they aren't arbitrary, and they aren't negotiable. These are God's rules because he says, what people bring to me that I share with my priests, this is holy, and this is serious business. The Lord cares deeply about all of these things, and so uh, provides this as a gift for uh, his priests. And uh, similarly with the sacrifices that are offered later, Uh, These are out of the gifts of God that people are responding uh, to his grace. uh, And the idea that you would bring anything that isn't uh, top-notch and the best of the best uh, is abhorrent to God. And uh, if you don't respect God enough to bring him the best of your flock, and if you just bring the things that you're going to end up having to kill anyway, then uh, the Lord is not impressed. All right, so let's let's work our way through those two topics then. Starting with the matter of the priests and eating the holy things. What are these holy things or the holy food that we're talking about here? Yeah, so this this is actually a really important kind of subtext of, of the conversation because here it is that we see the grace of God uh, coming in. And a lot of this chapter or a lot of this section goes on with, now that you see God's holiness, don't screw it up with your, with your profanity or your unholiness. Uh, well, that's good, but what's the holy that we're dealing with? Uh, this holy food is food that is brought to the temple, and a portion of it is offered on the altar uh, uh, to be burned. Uh, these can be, uh, say, first fruits or pr- the things that are processed from first fruits. So you might have your first olive oil or your first wine or some of your first barley or, or for some of your first grain or the uh, out of the sacrifices of the firstborn. Uh, all of these, a portion of them is burned and what's left is used for food for the priests and their families. And so what's been presented before the Lord uh, there in the tabernacle and on the altar is holy. And that holiness continues with that food even to the priest's table. And so the priest eats uh, the rest of the sacrifice uh, out of these uh, first fruits sacrifices and sacrifices of the firstborn. Hmm. And so we talk about the Lord's table and we think about communion a lot that way. And we talk about the Lord's table of communion But here you have the Lord's table at the tabernacle even being extended to the the priest's table where you're still eating the Lord's holy food. And so once something has been made holy by God, uh, don't bring your uncleanness to it. Uh, And that's the emphasis here, that the Lord has made this food holy? The Lord has made his priests holy. Don't be coming into the priest's house or being a priest with your unholiness. 
Right. I mean, just to, the way we started our conversation about the book of Leviticus being centered around the holiness of God and his desire to give that holiness to his people in a way that won't hurt them, I really think that helps us to understand what's going on here with why the priests can't approach the holy food of God without being clean and why certain people are not given to receive that that holy food of God because they're not a part of the, the priest's household. I mean, it, it all goes back to God's holiness being a gift to his people, not something that we run up and take for ourselves or demand on our own terms or try to bargain with God. We always have to receive it as a gift. And when he gives it to us as a gift, then it, it just it affects every aspect of who we are and every aspect of our lives. And we've seen this throughout the book of Leviticus, how what happens in the Lord's house, his tabernacle, affects what happens in your house. What is set on the Lord's table affects what is set on your table. And so that's especially going to be true for the priests, those who are right there at his table, at his altar all the time. It's especially going to be true for them. I think, again, it makes perfect sense with that context from Leviticus in mind. To piggyback on that for just a second, there's kind of the picture of invasion here. Into the middle of the sinful world, the Lord picks his people and he says, you are my people and I will come into your presence. Uh, One of my favorite passages from the apologist C.S. Lewis uh, talks about how we live in this world that is enemy-occupied territory and the Lord has come with an invasion. Uh, it really gets uh, wonderful because he, he spoke those words uh, right around the time that they were preparing for the D-Day invasion in World War II. Uh, and, and this gets us thinking, the Lord is invading into the midst of the people of Israel with his holiness, and his holiness is spreading out from the tabernacle throughout the people. Today we especially see it in, in this reading uh, at the priest's dining room table. But this is not the only place where we have that kind of uh, invasion of holiness going yeah. on. Yeah, well, and I think I think the image of an invasion of holiness can be helpful to think about. So if the Lord is, is coming to invade with his holiness, and you meet him as an enemy, who's going to win? You or his holiness? It's going to be the Lord's holiness. And so rather than meeting his holiness as an enemy, and so being conquered by it, as we saw with Nadab and Abihu back in chapter 10... Rather, the Lord shows you, here is how you you receive that holiness, not as an enemy, but as a friend of the Lord, as one who's prepared to have that holiness be given to you, again, not on your terms, but on the Lord's terms. So I, I like the I like the image of, of the invasion of the Lord's holiness, because I think that helps us to see the seriousness of what's going on and why the Lord gives all of these instructions so that his holiness would be received as gift rather than as destruction. So with those things in mind, then let's talk about some of the specifics as to the uncleannesses that are out there and the, the consequences for the, the priests if they were to receive the Lord's holy food in such an unclean state. What are Take us into some of the details, Pastor Hill. So in the details, it first starts out by talking about priests who have a a chronic uncleanness and shouldn't be eating this holy food. And so this would be, say, a priest who has leprosy shouldn't be eating the holy food. It also says a priest with a discharge. Um, that would refer to any kind of a chronic discharge, usually kind of of a, of, of a sexual nature. Um, and so in our common terms, we would talk about maybe something that would look like, like a uh, sexually transmitted infection or something like that, um, because that's, that's what discharge refers to. Um, but then 
the attention shifts from priests who for a long time should be kept away from this because of their chronic uncleanness to priests or people in their family who are found to be unclean for a day. Uh, these kind of minor uncleannesses like uh, touching a dead body or uh, having uh, touched touched roadkill or you know an animal that you found dead for example uh, or or having exposure to uh, swarming things so you know if you're out at the beehive um, you're unclean for the day uh, that's the Levitical law and I I are have to admit there are things about I am not but there are things about this that I just don't understand uh, but that's okay I we don't need necessarily to understand this, but to say God established his rules for holiness and they're God's rules, and that's good enough. Sure, yeah. I mean, most of the things that you've mentioned so far deal with matters that the book of Leviticus has already covered. So swarming things, that would go in the matter of clean, unclean food back in chapter 11. The the matter of skin diseases takes us back to chapters 13, 14. The matter of, of discharges takes us into chapter 15. And now it's applied here more specifically to the priests and to how they may or may not partake of the holy food. And as you said, there is a there are different levels of uncleanness or maybe different lengths of uncleanness. Certain ones are chronic, and so you have to wait until you are clean from those. Certain ones are not as chronic, and maybe just a one day where you're unclean for the day, you wash, and then you're clean. But in, in either case, you don't just approach the holy things, the holy food of the Lord to eat it unless you are clean first. And the punishment for the priest who does that, uh, who knows that he is unclean and eats the holy food, is that he is supposed to be removed from the people. Uh, he's supposed to be excommunicated, uh, in, in our terms, because he, called holy by the Lord, has now uh, brought his unholiness uh, to the Lord's holy things. And so uh, removal from the community is the punishment for him. But then the attention is going to shift a little bit away from the priest himself to the other people who will gather around his dining room table. And so it, it goes on to say that any, anybody who is a foreign guest of the priest isn't to eat the holy food. Or anybody who uh, is a layperson who's not part of his family, any uh, like hired worker or employees, uh, they don't eat from the holy food. But if the priest has has somebody who is a slave who is part of his household. The slave eats the holy food. The priest's children eats the holy food. Um, they are brought into this holiness because they are part of the priest's household. Uh, it, there's this really kind of interesting caveat. So if the priest has a daughter and she marries a, a layman, uh, she's not supposed to you know, come over to you know, the Sabbath dinner anymore and, have, and eat from the holy food. But if her husband dies or if he divorces her, she returns to her father's household and she, back as a member of the household, is, is to eat again from the holy food or, or can eat again from the holy food. Yeah. Now, I have to admit, reading through this, I have some functional questions how this works uh, and because it says all of these things. So what happens when you do have the foreign guest for dinner? Do you then have your, your non-holy food that you keep you know, in the second part of the pantry? Or uh, do you... Like, how is it that you would engage with your foreign guest with hospitality? Uh, or what happens if you find yourself to be unclean for a day? So do you have, like, the holy food section of your, of your pantry and the unholy food part of your pantry? I don't know. I'm really curious about this. Uh, I was, but I was trying to, to figure out how you would, uh, how you would organize that. 
because especially in case of say chronic uncleanness, uh, you you can't eat from the holy food for a long time, but you still have to eat. So how does that work? And Leviticus twenty two doesn't answer that question, but. I know that if I thought it, somebody else did too. And we may as well bring that up as a question here. Sure, and I don't, I don't know the answer. Given what I do see, though, as the graciousness of God throughout the book of Leviticus for cases that are difficult, and we're going to come to one here in, in just a second, I, I do think that there's, there would be a provision in some way, shape, or form so that the man doesn't starve to death. I mean, we know that, that the Lord is the one who provides for our daily bread. And so there's surely a way that this man receives his food, but it's not from the holy table of the altar. It's not coming from the sacrifices. And, and perhaps it's not spelled out because that's sort of just a, a plain thing that if you've got this priest who, because of chronic uncleanness, is regularly not ministering at the Lord's altar and is regularly then not receiving the food from the Lord's altar, then he's going to be provided for through other means, through the the common food that anyone would eat of. And there's nothing wrong with that food. It provides the same nutrition. It's simply not the Lord's food that is given this requirement that you would eat from it. Right. Nowhere is there the provision that the priest can only eat holy food when he's not serving in the tabernacle. As long, yeah, as far as I can see, yeah, yeah. So I would think, I, I would think then that when you've got this chronic uncleanness, that you simply would eat of other food that has not been part of this holy food that's been offered at the Lord's table. That, yeah, and that's kind of what I was yeah. thinking too. But yeah, the, the strange things that pastors think about sometimes, right? <laughs> do we have to do we have to raid the extra, you know, the extra bag of grain for this one? I, I, again, I, you know, I think that this is where maybe the, the rest of the congregation of Israel helps take care of the priests in, in other ways as well. And again, I, it seems to be that this would be something that the priests would be aware of, that it's going to be a need. And so to have that provision so that no one starves among the priests seems like a natural thing that isn't necessarily spelled out in Leviticus. Other guests have made the point that there are not extraneous details in the book of Leviticus. So these, uh, although sometimes they may seem overabundant to us, these details are necessary. Ones that maybe aren't as necessary, the Lord doesn't say, but the people were able to distinguish between clean and unclean based on what the Lord had said. We know that Aaron was given to distinguish between clean and unclean. That's his role back in Leviticus chapter 10. And so I think to do that in this case, to distinguish between holy and common food, makes sense, even if the Lord hasn't spelled it out precisely here in Leviticus. So with those things in mind, we're going to take our break, and we'll come back to more of Leviticus chapter 22 on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Peter Hill this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, September 22nd. We're studying Leviticus chapter 22, verses 1 to 33 with Pastor Peter Ill. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we were talking about those who are not allowed to eat of the priest's food, those who might be connected in some way to the priest's household but are not allowed to, or maybe they're visiting, those kinds of situations. In verse 14, the Lord brings up a situation where perhaps someone eats of the holy food unintentionally. What happens in this case, and how does this show us the Lord's mercy? So God, who is gracious and merciful, says if you accidentally or unintentionally eat from the holy things, you uh, return it back, uh, what you ate or received, uh, plus 20%. So so you basically give back 120% uh, to go back to uh, the priest and his family for your unintentional eating. Um, mistakes happen, and throughout Leviticus, there is provision for, for accidental sin. Uh, and the Lord makes a distinction between the sins that you know are sins and willfully choose to do anyway and these sins regarding his holiness where uh, where you didn't realize that you were doing something sinful and so he provides a a means of restitution and a means of of caring for you in the middle of your uncleanness and your sinfulness uh, even then the lord cares for his people and isn't quick to rule them out of his grace yeah, we, we saw back in chapters 4 and 5, and I think into 6 as well, of the book of Leviticus, where the Lord especially gives sacrifices for those unintentional sins. And so we see an example of the Lord following that same merciful nature that he has here in the case where someone might accidentally, unintentionally eat of the holy things intended only for the priests. Now, Pastor Ill, as we think about the holy food given to the priests to eat— and you said we want to talk about fulfillment in Christ, and we should also think about how this might still be applicable as it, we see things go forward in the New Testament. Where might we see the, the things talked about in this chapter apply in the Christian church today? I think if you were to mention holy food uh, to a Christian today, one of their first inclinations would say, oh, you mean the Lord's Supper, uh, because that is holy food given for the priests, not just for the, those who are ordained and set apart in the people of Israel, but as the Lord has declared both in the book of Numbers and in the book of First uh, Peter, uh, his people, his church, is now an entire nation of priests. And we are all priests before God, given this holy food um, to eat and to drink, and this holy food is the body and blood of Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and we do practice this kind of, of exclusivity even among us now. The church, uh, from very early on, it talks in, the, in an old writing called the Didache about how only the baptized receive the Lord's Supper, and people who aren't baptized shouldn't receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, we continue to practice 
this kind of discernment of discerning the Lord's body and blood as we say, hey, if there is an uncleanness or a willful, unrepentant sin among you, it's best that you not keep receiving the Lord's Supper to your judgment, uh, that you wouldn't bring your your sinfulness and up to the Lord's holiness. We don't want to uh, misuse the Lord's name or take his name in, in vain in that way. And so this is exactly why pastors are, are careful to say, hey, excuse me, if, if you have a willful, unrepentant sin going on, we need to address this. We need to repent of it. We need to receive forgiveness. The Lord in his mercy and grace comes with forgiveness. But if you think that it's okay to continue sinning, um, knowing that what you're doing is a sin and not wanting to stop, that's, that's not a safe thing for you to do. And that's, par- that's why we practice closed communion in the church today. Talk a little bit more about closed communion, Pastor L, because I think this is one of those spots within the church today where some would, would call us unloving or mean or not welcoming for practicing closed communion. Uh, how do we know that this is according to the Lord's Word? And, and why is it actually a loving practice for the church? So part of it comes out of, once again, God's holiness. God, who is holy, gives us his own very body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And for us to say, oh, well, gee, I can just keep sinning, and it's not a big deal, uh, because I'm going to I'm gonna go get the Lord's Supper and get the forgiveness anyway, is to say, me being holy as the Lord my God is holy? isn't important to me. Um, I want to kind of have, have it both ways. And the Lord says, not so fast. He says, not so fast to his priests in Leviticus 22. And he says, not so fast to us as well. Uh, St. Paul writes to the Corinthians that those who take this, take the Lord's Supper without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Uh, if there's somebody around who can say, hey, I would really prefer, dear Christian, that you not eat and drink judgment upon yourself. It is loving to call them to repentance. This is never a, uh, or is not intended to be, you can never have the Lord's Supper again. Closed communion and any kind of church discipline that might even lead to excommunication is always a line that says, dear Christian, we want to celebrate this meal with you, but we don't want to do it to your harm or to your judgment. And so we're we're coming to you with the Lord's word, begging you to repent so that we can be united in this gift of Christ once again. Uh, it's always about returning to the table and never just about kicking somebody out. Yeah, because you, you, want the, you want those who commune to receive the holy body and blood of Jesus to their benefit and not to their judgment. And as we've seen again throughout the book of Leviticus, those who would try to approach the holy things of God on their own terms will receive that holiness of God as destruction. And again, Nadab and Abihu are the the best example in Leviticus chapter 10. So to approach the holy things of God thinking that you've somehow earned it or that, that you can do it on your own terms is to invite such judgment upon yourself. And the pastor is there and the whole Christian congregation is there to help you to come to the holy things of God, not on your own terms, but on his terms, so that he can be the one, as he declares himself to be, and say in verse 9 of this text, he is the Lord who sanctifies. He wants to make you holy. And so he tells you how to come and receive his holiness. And 
what better thing could we do than to simply listen to his word and to receive his word as he gives it, rather than to demand it somehow on our own terms and to try to come in our sin that we don't care about and, and so receive the Lord's holiness to our judgment. Again, for these reasons and, and more, close communion is a, a truly loving practice, a desire to bring people to the Lord's table for their benefit, not for their judgment. So that the Lord's holiness doesn't break out against them. Yeah. They're not the they're not the enemy of the Lord. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So this is, a, and that's one of the nice things about the Old Testament, where you see the often very physical consequences of these things, whereas in the New Testament, sometimes you don't see those same physical consequences. To see it in the Old Testament is a reminder that that same reality is in play in the New Testament, even if you can't always see it. And so the, the great seriousness that the Lord takes with his holiness to come among his people, to dwell among them, with his grace and blessing, that's what he desires to do in the Lord's in the Lord's table today. And so, uh, when your pastor helps you to examine yourself and to and he calls you to repentance for your sins prior to your coming to the Lord's table, receive that as a, a gift uh, from God through your pastor, so that you would receive the Lord's body and blood to your great benefit. All right, Pastor L, that takes us through the first topic of Leviticus chapter 22, the matter of the priests partaking of the holy food. The second, the second part deals with what offerings can be brought to the Lord's table. So take us into some of the details we get here. So this is another place where, to start with the assumption, the Lord asks for the very best. Uh, now that's very simple. But here, uh, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, when I say bring the very best, what I mean is don't bring this stuff. Uh, because the Lord knows sinners. He knows how we work and he knows how we're wired. And if there's a chance that we as sinful people or the people of the Old Testament could find a loophole in their offerings, they would probably take it. Because I would probably take it if I were able to find a loophole too. And so the Lord says, when you're bringing one of your male uh, animals as an offering, uh, don't bring one that you couldn't use within your flock. Don't bring one that has a broken leg or that has an infection or scabs. Um, don't bring one that, that wouldn't be suitable to, uh, to, to raise uh, new goats or sheep. And so if it's not a fully functioning male, don't bring it. Um, that's the polite. That's term. the long and short of it. Well, yeah. yeah. So, as I read this, uh, I grew up the son of a hog farmer, um, and oh, I know well, that that's not even in view here. It, well, okay. pigs, pigs are unclean. But that's some true. animal husbandry, you know, does does run through this, and since I know that's, that worldwide KFUO does occasionally play in the farm trucks and in the barns. That's right. Uh, God be praised. Th there are people listening to this going, "Oh, I get it." And so I remember when certain pigs had to be taken out of the herd um, and disposed of. Maybe they had a sickness that meant that they weren't safe for anybody to eat. Um, you can't say, well, because it's unsafe for anybody to eat, I can take it to the temple and offer it to the Lord. No, can't be doing that. Oh, this one that I wanted to be the boar or, or the, the bull for my herd? No, I uh, can't do it. I can just give him to the Lord. No, you can't use the Lord's altar to call and improve your herd by getting rid of the weak links. Uh, because that's, that's our human sinful nature, right? Is, oh, I'll use the Lord uh, and I'll give him my gift that I really couldn't use for myself anyway. Uh, and the Lord says, no, I am calling for the best. And so here's how it will be. Hmm. 
Okay, so you don't just get to give the Lord your your second rate, as you said, the ones that you normally would have gotten rid of anyways, and sort of what the the sinful human tendency is to try to take care of two birds with one stone here. I'm going to have to get rid of it. The Lord needs an offering. Seems like it should serve both purposes. And the Lord says that's not how it works. No, instead, you are to bring the one that you would be proud to have as uh, the future uh, progeny of your of your flock. Your your award-winning bull or your award-winning uh, buck goat is is exactly what you are called to bring to offer to the Lord. Um, and I can I can imagine sinful people going and saying, "I worked really hard to get this this." prime example of what a of what a goat should be and now i'm giving it away with with no baby goats um and that's exactly what the lord calls for in this kind of sacrificial giving mm-hmm. so what is what does that kind of giving teach the people of israel by giving rather than giving just the people the animals they would have gotten rid of anyway by giving their best to the lord what does that teach them it's a reflection that the Lord is holy, the Lord is set apart, and the Lord is the possessor of all things, including the very best of things. And the Lord who gave you your award-winning goat, if they had award-winning goats I don't know then. if they had county fairs uh, at Mount yeah, Sinai. I don't know. That, I'll have to ask in the resurrection. Now I want to know. Um, but the, the very best of the best that you would give, if the Lord can give you one, the Lord can give you another. Because the Lord does prov- continually provide for his people. And so he is continually providing for their good in their flocks and in their herds. Um, and, and then there, he goes on to make this provision that an animal is uh, acceptable for sacrifice when it's eight days old or older. Um, but you can't offer a... Like if you have two offerings to give, you can't say, oh, I have this, this ewe sheep that just delivered a lamb. And so now the lamb's, you know, nine or 10 or days old or two weeks old. I can offer the, the lamb as one sacrifice and the ewe as a different sacrifice and then uh, just move on. It's, uh, there's a, a prohibition against offering uh, a lamb or, or a calf and its mother on the same day. I don't fully understand. Um, I don't know why the Lord set that apart, um, but he did. And this, this also goes down on my list of questions to ask in the resurrection. I do kind of want to know. Uh, I'm not sure why it matters to me now. But to the, to the one about not sacrificing the mother and her child on the same day, I, I have seen some suggest that perhaps there was a, and this is, we've seen this elsewhere in the book of Leviticus, that perhaps there was a pagan practice in this regard that, and I don't know the reasoning behind it, but that there might have been pagan practices where there was some sort of spiritual significance that pagans would attach to sacrificing a mother and her child at the same time on the same day. And the Lord says, no, you're not going to do that as a way to distinguish between his people and pagan practices. It shows that we're not pagans here. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Okay. And again, I've, I've seen that as, a, as one suggestion to that. With the, with the matter of the, the child remaining with its mother for seven days, and then on the eighth day, that's when it becomes acceptable for a food offering. It does strike me that we've seen that time period on a number of occasions within the book of Leviticus where something lasts for seven days, and then the eighth day is when the event happens. So it, 
it strikes me that that's not an accident, at least in, in terms of the timing that the Lord consistently uses. Right. Um, trying to think, you know, from, from the roots of farming and animal husbandry, why is that a big deal? I, I don't know. I, my dad was a farmer. I didn't grow up to be a farmer, obviously. So, like, there's, there's part of me that wants the human answer to what's the benefit of this. Sure. But I think that even greater than whatever human benefit we might see is the, the spiritual benefit of things that last for a week. A week is a God-given uh, unit of time. And there is certainly a, a value in this eighth-day kind of thinking. Uh, the eighth day is the day of new beginning. And it's no mistake that on the first day of the week, our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is why we do so many things with uh, eight in the church. Um, many churches will, for example, have uh, units of eight around their baptismal font. So they might have an eight-sided baptismal font or, uh, you know, tiles on the floor that make up a, uh, like an octagon because it is a reminder of the eighth day and the new life that we have in Christ. Mm, yeah, and we've seen the eighth day come up again in several places in Leviticus. It shows up here again. So let's let's work on making some connections to Christ from the matter of which animals can be sacrificed. Uh, one of the things, especially when you connect this chapter back to chapter 21, in chapter 21, there were different blemishes that a priest might have as to whether or not he can serve as a priest, many of those same blemishes show up here in terms of which animals can be sacrificed. Maybe not exactly the same, but there's there are parallels. We talked about in chapter 21 how the Lord, the, the people need a perfect priest is ultimately what they need. And, and here, the people need a perfect sacrifice. Ultimately, of course, we know none of the bulls, goats, sheep actually measured up. But this talk of, of sacrifices without blemish point us, I think, toward Christ and the way that he is the perfect sacrifice. Right. This pushes us to the words of John the Baptist about Jesus, right? Behold, looky, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if you want the perfect sacrificial animal or the perfect sacrifice, it is found expressly in Christ. And so these bulls and calves and, and lambs all point ahead to Jesus, who does what they can't do. The Lord called for the sacrifice of these animals, but the true sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins is Jesus Christ. These are just a foreshadowing of Jesus and his grace. And so they point ahead to Jesus, um, but certainly we wouldn't say, oh, I can take a an imperfect, deformed, broken leg, hip out of joint, itchy, scabby, diseased calf and give it to the Lord uh, to be my perfect sacrifice uh, for my sin that points ahead toward uh, Jesus' suffering and death. Uh, to try to uh, look ahead to the perfect sacrifice of God with an imperfect animal uh, just doesn't work, just doesn't fit, and it's not in accordance with God's commands or his hopes or his desires for his people. The Lord is holy. Treat him like he's holy. Treat him like he is set apart. That's what he calls for them to do. Don't misuse his name, but remember that God's name is holy, and the Lord is among you, uh, even in your sacrifices. 
And so the Lord very clearly does set that before his people, pointing ahead to Jesus, who is that perfect sacrifice, just like he is also the perfect priest. Mm. I mean, as we see Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, and again, thinking about the holiness of God, in giving Jesus as this perfect sacrifice, we see what God's holiness does for us. And again, I, I think we see God's holiness as a gift, not as a demand. The holiness of God isn't something that he says, you do this, and so become holy. Rather, the holiness of God is something that he has, something that he is in and of himself, that he then seeks to give to us in a way that we can receive that cleanses us from all sin, so that when we see Jesus not only as the perfect priest in chapter 21, but also here as the perfect sacrifice, we see what God's holiness actually is meant to do, not to make demands upon us, but to give to us all that we need. Absolutely. Uh, and so that that's what we have. And then the Lord goes on uh, through Moses to kind of conclude this chapter and to conclude this section of Leviticus with a whole speech about holiness. And if it's okay, I'd, I'd like to read these couple of verses here at the end of the chapter one more time. Go for it. Uh, this is in chapter 22. This is uh, verses uh, verse, uh, 31 through 33. So... You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. And so out of the Lord's identity, he says, I have made you holy. I have sanctified you. Now that I have sanctified you, don't go profaning my holiness. Don't bring your willful, unrepentant sins before me. Uh, don't live like you're not my people after I've made you my people. This is something that is important for the people of Israel uh, to hear in the days of, of the Exodus, but it is also something important for the church to hear today because we are so often tempted with these sins that we say, I know that it's wrong and I know that that is not the Lord's will for me and I want to do it anyway. And the Lord says, but I've called you holy. Who are you to go take something that I have called holy and someone that I have called holy and then you go and live like you're not holy? As Jesus says, I believe in the Gospel of Matthew, um, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Once God has made you holy, who are you to say, no, no, I'd, I'd really rather go back to my own way of doing things. Um, that's, that's crazy talk. And that's outside of the second commandment. It's outside of the first petition. And it's, it's outside of the, the sanctified, faithful life of the people of God. As you were talking, my mind went to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where St. Paul writes this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But then he says this, But you were washed, you were sanctified, that is, you were made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And while we're not studying 1 Corinthians right now here on Sharper Iron, when you think through the rest of what what is there in 1 Corinthians, you see St. Paul laying out the implications of what this means for them to be the sanctified people of God. And so it is here in the book of Leviticus as well. What does it look like 
when the Lord has made you holy. Here's how you receive his holiness. Now, what does that look like for the rest of your life? So much of this is is just, this is what it means to be sanctified, to be made holy, and to, to receive that as a gift from God, rather than something that we have to earn or achieve by our own wisdom or strength. Oh, with about two minutes here, Pastor L, help us to, to wrap things up on Leviticus chapter 22. As we think about the Lord's holiness that he brings, that he brings to his people, to his priests, to the tabernacle itself, to the priest's dining room table, even to uh, the barns and the fields where flocks are raised, everything about the worship of the Lord all along is completely holy. God has come to his people and called them holy, and God has come to you and called you holy. And since you're holy, the Lord has some expectations. Don't live in such a way that would cheapen or profane his name. Don't take it in vain. Instead, live in the holiness that the Lord has given you. Out of his grace and favor, he has called you his own. Remain in that faith and remain in that holiness, not because it's your your work or your task, but because once you have been called a child of the Heavenly Father, what better title for you can there be? So keep it up. Live as God has called you and as God has made you and rejoice in your identity as a child of God because it is there where you have your holiness that your true joy is found along with your Savior and your brother Jesus, the one who is the perfect priest, the perfect blemishless lamb given for you so that you continue to have that holy food of his body and blood. Pastor Peter Ill is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 22, verses 1 to 33. Pastor Ill, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus 22, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.